Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Video games. How they're made. The people who make them. The stories behind it all. You're listening to Random Access Memories. By Ron's Pies. Enjoy the show. Like it or not, our favorite games are going to get old at some point. So old that newer generations won't be able to appreciate some of the more minute details of the game or its cultural significance. Take me, for example. I didn't play Super Mario 64 until well after I had played Mario Sunshine and Galaxy, and while I can appreciate the historical significance of Mario 64, I don't particularly enjoy my time playing it all that much. But, when it was new, players weren't exposed to modern conventions like not being kicked out of a level just for falling off a ledge. What was normal then is frustrating now, and that's where remasters and remakes come in. Without remasters and remakes, specific games might be stranded on the platform they came out on and slowly age away, only lingering in the minds of the people who played them when they were new. Without remasters or remakes, the only way to play certain games is through unofficial or otherwise illegal means. This is the space where the unsung heroes of the gaming industry come in. The porthouses, the studios that don't make original or new projects. They just do their best to enhance an existing project and make it more easily accessible to modern audiences. It's not a glamorous job. You're not making groundbreaking projects that change the shape of the industry. You're not really planting your own flag on creative enterprise. Unless you're the studio that stands above all others in that regard. Unless your work on existing projects is remarkable enough to be legendary in its own right. How many studios can you name that only make remasters and remakes? There is one that stands head and shoulders above the rest, the one that has defined what a remaster and remake can and should be, Bluepoint Games. Welcome to Random Access Memories, a gaming podcast dedicated to the stories behind video games. This podcast is an in-depth look at a variety of the different franchises, developers, and studios around the world that form the greatest entertainment medium in the world. History, conversations, fun facts about franchises you thought you knew everything about, this is Random Access Memories. Random Access Memories is a podcast produced by Ron's Pies, a YouTube channel dedicated to in-depth looks at video games. If you like the podcast, please follow the show on your podcast podcast distribution platform of choice, leave a positive review, and subscribe to the channel. With that, please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Random Access Memories. I'm your host, Wade Ronspies, and I meant it from last episode, we're back on schedule. And if you missed the last episode, Keegan, my co-host, has been swamped with schoolwork and his actual job, so he's going to be chiming in on a bit of a case-by-case basis from here on out. Okay, with that preamble out of the way... Let's just get started. So why make an episode on Bluepoint Games? Of all the fascinating stories still left untouched by this podcast, why am I focusing my time and effort on something that's not the Nintendo PlayStation or the console wars between Sega and Nintendo? Well, to be perfectly honest, it's due to Bluepoint's latest project, a full-fledged remake of the PS3 classic Demon's Souls, due out as a launch title for the PlayStation 5 this November. Between Demon's Souls and Bluepoint's previous projects, their reputation in the gaming industry is high 
high, to say the least. But where did they come from? Who are the people behind some of the industry's greatest remasters? How did Bluepoint become the absolute juggernaut we know today, one on the verge of creating original projects from scratch? Well, as a matter of fact, that's actually where Bluepoint started in the first place. The story of Bluepoint Games begins at another legendary studio, Retro Studios in Austin, Texas. At Retro, there were two game engineers, Marco Thrush and Andy O'Neill. The pair were developers on one of the most iconic trilogies of all time, Metroid Prime. O'Neill had more experience than Thrush. He served as a technical lead after working at Acclaim on two Turok games. The two developers also contributed to Metroid Prime 3 Corruption, but in 2006, the pair left Retro Studios to begin their own independent studio in Austin, Bluepoint Games. Their first project as an independent studio was actually a launch title for the PS3, a PlayStation Network game called Blast Factor. Blast Factor is a basic 2D arcade shoot-em-up. It was definitely meant to rival Xbox's Geometry Wars. The two games are eerily similar. Both utilize a pretty basic visual style, but one with a lot of flair and particle effects. By no means was Blast Factor a mind blower, nor was it really a Geometry Wars competitor. While Geometry Wars would get releases all the way up to 2014, Blast Factor is a mostly forgotten launch game that got pretty average or middling reviews. However, Blast Factor did receive DLC support from Bluepoint all the way up to December 2008, so it must have performed well enough to warrant post-release content and trophy support. Not bad for a game whose code was written by one man, Andy O'Neill, in a spare room. In 2009 though, Bluepoint would begin their journey as the studio we know them as today. God of War 3 was on the horizon at the time, and to drum up some hype and to make the first two games accessible to people who may have missed out on them when they came out on PS2, PlayStation commissioned Bluepoint Games to remaster God of War and God of War 2 in HD for the PlayStation 3. This was actually the first in a long line of internally developed HD remasters for the PlayStation 3, a line that would also include games like Sly Cooper, Ratchet and & Clank, and Jack and & Daxter. Lots of small studios were commissioned by PlayStation for these remasters, but it was during this time that Bluepoint really separated itself from its peers and impressed PlayStation and other publishers across the industry. But what was the Bluepoint touch for God of War? The God of War collection was God of War 1 and 2 and all of their bonus materials both on one Blu-ray disc, both games running in 720p, 60 frames per second, and with full trophy support. Early copies of the collection even included the E3 demo of God of War 3 further cementing the HD collection was indeed made for the build-up to God of War 3. By all means, the God of War HD collection is very bare-bones by modern standards, but their work on uprising God of War using their own custom engine was impressive enough to land them some more opportunities, ones that would truly put Bluepoint on the map as a unique brand. And before I move on, I want to note that Bluepoint didn't work on the remasters of the PSP God of War games. Those were handled by Ready at Dawn, the developers who made the PSP God of War games in the first place. However, the two collections would collide in God of War Saga, a bundle including every single God of War game in one box, released in 2012. And that's actually how I played the God of War series. Anyway, next up, Wave 2 on PlayStation's HD Classic Collection series, and another two-for-one from Bluepoint, Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. For this collection, Bluepoint actually worked in collaboration with the studio that created those two legendary games, Team Eco. Now, I could go on and on about Shadow of the Colossus, the game that made Roger Ebert decide that games are indeed art, and how it's actually a bit symbolic in the grand scheme of the Bluepoint journey. But you don't need me to tell you how good Shadow of the Colossus is right now. 
because I'll do that later on in the show. The point is that, at this moment of time in 2011, Bluepoint was making an HD remaster of Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. Team Eco was considering adding content to both games, but here's what we ended up getting. 1080p resolution, 7.1 surround sound, stereoscopic 3D for supported TVs, and a locked frame rate of 30 frames per second. Which I know isn't 60fps, but it was still an improvement to the spotty frame rate of the original PS2 versions. Eco's HD remaster also saw the global inclusion of previous Europe-only content, like full two-player support. Fumito Oedo, the head of Team Eco and game director on Eco, Shadow of the Colossus, and eventually The Last Guardian, was nothing but happy with Bluepoint's effort. In fact, he was considerably pleased with their work, calling them, quote, real craftsmen, despite not thinking the two games needed ports to begin with at first. Critically, the collection performed excellently. It was given near-perfect scores from outlets all over the world, all admiring the hard work that went into making Eco and Shadow of the Colossus PS3 versions the best possible versions of those two games. And on a personal note, this remaster was my first exposure to Shadow of the Colossus, and to be honest, I didn't really like it. I thought the game was kind of boring and somewhat visually dull, but... That wrong would be righted a few years later. I think Team Eco's very pleased reaction to Bluepoint's work on their games is what spread their name all across Japan, and right onto the lap of Konami. Konami was interested in porting the PlayStation 2 Metal Gear Solid games to the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, and Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, a PSP-only Metal Gear game. Now, Peace Walker would be handled by another studio, but 2 and 3? Those needed to be handled by the best of the best. And in a rare move, a Japanese publisher contracted an American studio to help with their game, and they went to Bluepoint Games. This Metal Gear Solid HD collection would prove to be a series of firsts for Bluepoint. It was the first time they worked on multiple projects at the same time. The year was still 2011, so they were working on Eco and the Shadow of the Colossus too. As for the other first, this wasn't going to just be a simple HD remaster. This was the first time that Bluepoint would actually change and refine the controls of a game, thus actually improving it and making it an altogether better game than its original form. Crisp 720p resolution, 60 frames per second, trophy and achievement support. But, since the Xbox 360 controller didn't have pressure-sensitive buttons like the PS2 and PS3 controllers, any pressure-sensitive inputs from Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 were remapped to other buttons, much to the pleasure of Xbox fans of the series. From here on out, improvements like this were to be considered an expectation of any future remasters or re-releases, and to only up a game would be the absolute bare minimum. And we have Bluepoint to thank for that, thanks to them giving every game they work on their full attention and consideration. Even today, the HD remasters of Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 look great, and it's by far the best way to play those two games. The Metal Gear Solid HD collection is considered to be one of the greatest remasters of all time, and from here on out, Bluepoint would be the go-to if you wanted an HD remaster done, and done right. It's at this point while writing the script though, I began to wonder. How do you find the motivation to work on games that other people made? On an existential and artistic level, what's the point? Well, according to Bluepoint, their philosophy is to preserve the legacy of video games, to bring, quote, masterpieces of gaming's history to new players, according to co-founder Marcus Thrush. It's a team of fans of gaming who simply want to make every game they touch to be the best version it can possibly be. In a way, what they do may very well be considered art on its own. The same way we respect film restoration studios for their work on films from titans like Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. The truth is, I just think Bluepoint Games is a team of people who simply love video games. It's kind of like streamers or YouTubers in a way. Their career is built off of what other people do, 
but in a way that creates a new form of entertainment or content. But I think we can all agree that what Bluepoint does is much more respectable than that of YouTubers who complain when a woman in video games muscles are big. Anyway, a bit of an aside, I know, but one I felt was worth bringing up in case you too were considering why a studio would put itself in a position to simply build off of something that's already been established. And it's this mentality of Bluepoints that has led them to becoming the best in the industry. During this time, a PlayStation-themed Super Smash Bros. clone called PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale was to be released in 2012. And, for the record, I enjoyed the game, but come on, it's a Super Smash Bros. clone. For the game itself, that was handled by Superbot Entertainment, but for the Vita port, rest in peace, that was all Bluepoint. Not the most glamorous chapter in their gamography, but it's worth pointing out considering it was a game designed for the PS3 and it still retains some solid visual fidelity for Sony's portable handheld. It also featured cross-play to the PS3, meaning Vita and PS3 players could play with each other online. Fun fact, the Vita version of All-Stars Battle Royale scored one point higher on Metacritic than its PS3 version, so there's the Bluepoint Touch. They don't just make old games better, they make current ones better too. After PlayStation All-Stars, the world of gaming began to transition to next-gen, to the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. The launch window for both consoles was stacked with legendary games like Knack and Killzone. But one notable launch title was a game that made waves on the PlayStation 3, ported and optimized to the PlayStation 4 and the PS Vita. Flower from That Game Company. That's the studio's name, by the way. They're just called That Game Company. To be honest, there's nothing particularly interesting about the Flower port, because a port is basically all it is. But speaking of ports, and interesting ones at that, enter Respawn Entertainment. Now, the story of Respawn is worth an episode on its own. Maybe I'll do that one soon. But here's what you need to know for this story. Vince Zampella and a group of other former Call of Duty developers from Infinity Ward separated and began their own studio, and their first project was a highly mobile sci-fi shooter with mechs called Titanfall. This game was to be published by EA and released exclusively on PC, Xbox One, and Xbox 360. The game was to be released in 2014, a few months after the release of the new hardware, so it's safe to assume that Titanfall was a game designed for modern hardware and for PCs. It's relatively simple to port software from old, outdated hardware to newer, more powerful hardware, but doing the opposite is pretty difficult. Going from old to new is a matter of uprising existing assets and stabilizing performance. The new consoles are typically designed to make that transfer easy, too. They're often built using a similar but more powerful architecture so game developers don't have to rewrite the rulebook just to make a game for a new console. When you're going from new to old, you have to downgrade nearly everything in an attempt to get it to run smoothly and efficiently on hardware it wasn't designed for in the first place. As for why Xbox would want an Xbox 360 port, that's because there was still a dedicated install base on the 360. Or, in layman's terms, there were still a ton of people who hadn't made the jump to the Xbox One and were still happy with their Xbox 360s. So there was a huge business opportunity in allowing that player base to play a big, second-party title like Titanfall. And look, I'll level with you. I'm not an expert when it comes to this side of video games, but what I do know is that this would be the first and only time that Bluepoint was asked to downgrade a game, if you don't count their Vita ports. But to make a current gen game run on old hardware can be a pretty tall order depending on the game, and if this episode has taught us anything, it's that if you want a port done right, you go to Bluepoint. The quote-unquote true version of Titanfall was released in March 2014. The Xbox 360 version was released one month later in April. Titanfall's Xbox 360 port was pretty well received. The experience was pretty analogous to the Xbox One version, much to the pleasant surprise of anyone who picked up a copy for the 360. It's not as pretty, but it functioned identically and 
ran at 60 FPS, in part due to Respawn's decision to use a version of the Source engine, the engine created by Valve for Half-Life 2 for Titanfall. It's easy to forget that Bluepoint is an independent studio, even today. Despite all their work for PlayStation, they're still a free agent. But I suspect they'll be acquired by PlayStation soon though, considering Xbox's recent acquisition of Bethesda Softworks. They'll be looking to scoop up a variety of different studios in response to that move, with their last major acquisition being Insomniac Games last year. Having Bluepoint as an exclusive resource for the upcoming generation will be incredibly valuable, especially considering there are stirrings that Bluepoint may return to making original games after the next project or two. But even though they're still technically an indie studio, all of their work from here on out would be for PlayStation. And in my opinion, their work from here on out is their best by far. HD remasters are often made to build up to the release of a new entry in a series, and considering the PS4 wasn't backwards compatible with PS3 games due to the PS3's very unique architecture, HD remasters and ports were extremely popular throughout the generation, all of which attempted to follow in Bluepoint's footsteps in regards to quality. But with their next project, Bluepoint would up the bar for remasters once again, verging ever so slightly on remake territory. But before I get to that, I want to clear the air a bit. What separates a remaster from a remake? I often see the two terms used interchangeably at times, and honestly, there's no clear answer. But here's my educated and objective take based purely on my personal interpretation. To me, remaster implies there isn't much or any work done to the game itself. The only work is increasing the game's resolution, frame rate, audio quality, and maybe fine-tuning the controls a bit. To me, the best example of a remaster is Bluepoint's very own Metal Gear Solid HD collection. It's the same game with all of the content across all its various editions, but optimized for new hardware with some very slight changes and improvements. A remake, on the other hand, is a game where the content of the game has been changed, particularly the game's assets. This is where things get dodgy, but the reason I consider a game like Modern Warfare Remastered to be a remake instead of a remaster is because it's not the same game but optimized. The textures have been completely recreated from scratch, the audio completely reworked, and there's new or altered content. Slight touches like small animation flares here and there, and a reworked multiplayer component with new weapons and cosmetics. Modern Warfare Remastered is by definition a different game, thus why I consider it a remake rather than a remaster, as the title suggests. But then you have games like the recent Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes, and the Final Fantasy 7 remake. These are completely reworked versions of the games they share a name with, completely redesigned using the original game as a backbone or as a mere influence. I wish this was the standard for what we consider a remake, but here we are. For these extremely rare cases, I would consider using the term re-envisioning. It's not the same game but optimized, nor is it the same game but with new remade assets and new content. It's a completely new game, a completely separate experience from the original game. Nowadays, with the advent of ray tracing on consoles, the line has been blurred even more. Spider-Man Remastered, Devil May Cry 5 Special Edition. They're the same game, but with some added content and new assets that allow for real-time reflections, so they definitely verge on remake territory. But the one game that verges on that sometimes thin line between remaster and remake more than anything else is Uncharted The Nathan Drake Collection. Uncharted is a legendary series created by Naughty Dog, the former developers of Crash Bandicoot and Jack and Daxter, 
and eventually the creators of The Last of Us. Uncharted may very well be my favorite series in all of gaming. The only competition it has in my mind is The Legend of Zelda, Persona, or Metal Gear. And in the build-up to Uncharted 4 after its reveal in 2014 and eventual delay in 2015, PlayStation once again called upon Bluepoint Games, and this time it was to lend their talents to the first three Uncharted games. And the Nathan Drake collection wasn't just a simple remaster. After all, all three games were already made in HD to begin with. The idea behind this re-release wasn't just to make the games accessible to a new audience, it was also to take advantage of the PS4's hardware. Yes, it was 1080p, 60fps, but the textures were retouched, the lighting was improved, character models were updated, and there were even some new modes and features never before included in any Uncharted game. Two new difficulties were added on both sides of the spectrum, one for explorers who just wanted the story, and another for the people who for some reason thought crushing wasn't punishing enough. And there was also a speedrun mode that timed the player and featured leaderboards. All three games also had their own platinum trophies, and photo mode, a relatively new idea at the time, was implemented, allowing players to shoot and share pictures anytime they wanted to. The only thing it was missing was the multiplayer components of Uncharted 2 and 3, but it did include a beta code for Uncharted 4's multiplayer when it was new. Honestly, if I was operating under my own personal rules, I'd have to say that the Nathan Drake Collection is a remake. It treads the line extremely thinly. A lot of the project has been touched up or remade, but it still has essentially the same visual identity of the original games. But if you compare the character models between the originals and the remaster, it's almost night and day. Not to mention, the controls had actually been touched up too. It was a notorious issue that the aiming reticle wasn't synced up to the free camera in the original games. Basically, when you hit L2 to aim, it didn't really matter where the camera was pointed, and that issue was fixed by Bluepoint, so it made the game that much easier to manage, which is why I think they added the extra difficulty mode. Honestly, their work on the Nathan Drake collection is staggering. It proved that Bluepoint was capable of more than just upresing existing assets. They could make and implement their own. Similar work was done on Gravity Rush Remastered, a port of a Vita game created in the lead-up to Gravity Rush 2, which wasn't going to be on the PS Vita. So, for the sake of consistency and because the Vita wasn't the most popular console in the world, it made sense to put one of that system's best games on a home console. Bluepoint gave it their Nathan Drake Collection touch, improved lighting, new character models, full DualShock 4 support, again, just a top-to-bottom improvement that, again, skirts the line between remaster and remake. But that's where the name Remastered stopped being applied to Bluepoint's projects. This is where their talents were going to be utilized to their maximum. This is where they got the respect and responsibility typically only given to internal, first-party studios. They were about to finally take off the gloves and create a full, from-the-ground-up remake of a game. And not just any game, it was a game that Bluepoint already had a deep connection to, a game they already worked on previously, a goliath of the industry, a game that placed in the top five list for nearly every single employee at Bluepoint. Shadow of the Colossus. This was the turning point for Bluepoint. This was the moment their future became sealed and their name etched into a very unique spot in video game legend. Their work on Shadow of the Colossus is mind-blowing. Three years of hard work to completely recreate the aesthetic of the original game, but with a visual fidelity similar to, no, beyond what people would expect from a brand new title. Originally, it started as yet another crack at making the definitive version of Shadow of the Colossus, but as we know now, that idea evolved into something magnificent. Their remake used the raw code from the original game, but every single visual asset was completely original. The controls were reworked, and on PS4 Pro, it was playable in 4K resolution and high dynamic range. 
And I cannot understate just how stunning this game's visuals are, and it's probably why I fell in love with Bluepoint's remade version of the game rather than the original game. One of my biggest issues with the original project was that it felt too empty, which was intentional, but the entire world had a level of flatness and lifelessness to it. But in the remake, the world retained that lifelessness, but in a way that worked toward the narrative's inherent sadness, rather than just being kind of dull to look at. The grass flows with the wind, the sky is filled with crushing ominosity, the horizon appears haunting yet inviting. The forests are lush with gorgeous vegetation and vibrant colors, the sounds of the river are deep with relaxing tones, and the trek to and from each colossi is laced with subtle melancholy and deep contemplation. Bluepoint's Shadow of the Colossus is brilliant because it does exactly what it needs to do. It evokes the exact same emotions the original game did when it came out in 2005, but emotions that were hard to feel from a modern perspective. I can't imagine myself stopping and admiring the view in the original game, but that's exactly what I did, multiple times, in Bluepoint's remake. The remake is brilliant because it showcases Shadow of the Colossus as the masterpiece it is, and at its best. Originally, the framework was created by Team Eco, but the craftsmanship from Bluepoint is what truly puts the Shadow of the Colossus remake over the edge as not only the best version of the game, but also one of the best remakes and best games ever created. I love, love, love this game. It was far and away one of my favorite games of 2018. But unfortunately, in the following year, tragedy struck Bluepoint Games. On June 10th, 2019, at the age of 47, Bluepoint co-founder Andy O'Neill passed away in Austin, Texas. His passing was announced by Bluepoint Games on Facebook. In the post and in his obituary, he was remembered for a variety of different things. He could start and finish a novel in 72 hours. He was a talented guitar player. He loved biking through nature. He loved martinis. He loved Austin, Texas, and treated it like a hometown despite being born and raised in England. And he always, always pushed the team at Bluepoint to excel beyond what was thought to be possible. He is the reason Bluepoint is what it is. He's the reason Bluepoint always went above and beyond at every single thing they did. If you love Bluepoint, and if you love remasters and remakes, and if you love Metroid Prime, Andy O'Neill is a man you should be thankful for. And in case you were wondering what parts of Metroid Prime he was responsible for, here's just a few. The Morph Ball, Wall Jumping, Screw Attacks, the Plasma and Dark Beam, and Split Screen Multiplayer on Metroid Prime 2. He was an engineer on all of it. Andy O'Neill was a programming wizard, and it's only right that he be remembered as such, and that his incredible artistry be continued by Bluepoint Games, and that his incredible artistry be continued by Bluepoint in one of the most ambitious projects ever undertaken by any games studio. Today, we eagerly await that project, and we also eagerly await the hardware it coincides with, the PlayStation 5. Next Gen is shaping up to be pretty monumental for the history of console gaming. It's the first generation to use an SSD, a solid state drive, meaning that load times are going to be dramatically decreased. Ray tracing will also be introduced, meaning lighting will look even more realistic than ever before, and surfaces will be capable of dynamic reflections. Basically, games will load faster and look prettier than ever before. The PS5 will also be capable of 3D audio and haptic feedback in the controller, meaning games will also be more immersive than ever. And to showcase this beauty and immersion, the biggest launch title for the PlayStation 5 is Bluepoint's upcoming remake of the infamous From Software PS3 exclusive classic, Demon's Souls. Demon's Souls was the progenitor to the Souls franchise, a legendary series that has given us classics like Dark Souls and Bloodborne. Demon's Souls set the template for the new age of punishing action RPGs. Many have tried to copy the Souls formula, and very few have succeeded. 
But regardless of how many have tried and failed, or tried and succeeded, no one can do it better than the Soul series. But not many have actually had the chance to play the origins of this incredible series. Demon's Souls was a PlayStation 3 exclusive, developed by From Software and published by Atlas USA in 2009. The only way to play it today is to either dig out your PS3 and use that, or to do some not entirely legal things on your PC. Either way, many remiss the fact that such an infamously difficult game has been effectively stranded on old hardware and has been unavailable in any official capacity for a very, very long time. And that's just one of the reasons people are excited for the upcoming remake. Another, of course, is that the game itself is fantastic and is home to some of the best levels and bosses in the entire series. Demon's Souls is often ranked low when compared to its successors like Dark Souls 3, but that's like saying Twilight Princess is often ranked low when compared to its successors like Breath of the Wild. Demon's Souls is also considered to be possibly the most difficult game in a series infamous for its intense difficulty. The director, Hidetake Miyazaki, even personally apologized for some of the particularly difficult parts of the game. But in the context of today, Demon's Souls was a very, very ugly game, even when it came out in 2009. I mean, this was the year Uncharted 2 came out. Demon's Souls looks like a PS2 game in comparison. So not only is it a great game in need of greater accessibility, it's also a great game in dire need of a visual overhaul. And the Bluepoint remake looks absolutely staggering. The ray tracing is stunning. The NPC animation is incredibly detailed. The particle effects are great. The loading speed is remarkable. And every single inch of the game has been visually redesigned and created from scratch. Redesigned bosses, areas, and art, and the PS5 3D audio is used to excellent effect. It's hard to go over everything Bluepoint has done to Demon's Souls considering it's not out until November, but it's clear to see right now that a tremendous amount of effort has gone into this remake. It's a huge, huge game, and every inch has been poured over for years with meticulous detail. It already looks to be Bluepoint's best work by far, and a project worthy of Bluepoint's founder, Andy O'Neill. So, what's next for Bluepoint? It's pretty much all rumors and hearsay at the moment, so I don't want to say anything definitive or even speculate all that much. There have been rumors about a Metal Gear Solid remake, or Symphony of the Night, or Resistance Fall of Man. There's also stirrings that they're interested in making an all-new original project, not based on any other work. Bluepoint has also stated their interest in continuing their working relationship with PlayStation, so perhaps an acquisition lies on the horizon? It's hard to say, so I'll just end it on this. Let's just be excited for Demon's Souls for now, and see where life goes after that, alright? And that's everything you need to know about Bluepoint Games. I hope that you learned something new or got some newfound appreciation for one of the most underappreciated studios in the gaming industry. The story of Bluepoint is the story of extraordinarily talented people who love video games enough to do some of the most thankless and yet most important work in the industry. They're a team who loves video games as much as we do. Only a little bit more, I think. Thanks for listening to this episode of Random Access Memories, and I hope you'll join me next time. Thank you for listening to Random Access Memories, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want more, check out our previous episodes and or subscribe to the show on the podcast platform of your choice. This podcast was produced by Ron's Pies on YouTube, so please check the channel out, subscribe, and share the show. You can follow me on Twitter at WadeLikesPie and Keegan at Key underscore Gan underscore Gin. See you next time.